Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is Luke Story, and we're going to be talking about fine-tuning your body electric. I really admire Luke's work, and I have been listening to his podcast, as well as my patients have been as well for years, and it was really fun to interview him on this topic. We would talk about bridging the gap between consciousness and the quantum field, therapies and tools to up-level your coherence in your field, and also protecting yourself against EMFs while you sleep. So I hope you really enjoy today my conversation with Luke's story. Welcome, Luke. It's really an honor to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. I feel like I know you. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple years now, and I just love to have your perspective on the summit. I feel that you're a bridge from kind of the world that we do um, in alternative medicine and the work that we do with chronic illness and bringing these concepts to more of a mainstream, if you will, community. So I'm just excited to explore these concepts with you. And, you know, let's just start with this idea of the body electric. Um, why I call the summit the body electric, because I feel like this gives us a framework and a an understanding of our electromagnetic nature and that we're more than just biochemistry, but we have this whole aspect that our body can responds and communicates with principles of physics. And so how did you get started in exploring concepts of our body electric? Well, you know, I think when I really got serious about my spiritual path, which would have been uh, in 1997 when I was 26 years old, I was faced with early and untimely demise due to multiple addictions and unresolved trauma and uh, and general neurosis living the rock and roll nightmare in Hollywood, California. So I was very desperate to get tuned in spiritually. I sensed early on that having a connection with the higher power was going to be the way out. However, uh, I was so toxic physically that I quickly learned that uh, I needed to be able to tune my body and my nervous system and purify in order to be able to truly pursue the spirituality that I knew was critical to not only my survival, but just to having a better quality of life. And so all the issues that I had with addiction and mental illness were only solvable by getting deeply into alternative healing. And so over the years, what has emerged for me, and now I guess many people call what I do biohacking. Back in the day, there wasn't really a name for it. You were just a health nut uh, or maybe anti-aging. It was kind of the anti-aging scene, you know. Now I think it's more clear to me than ever that the purpose of taking care of the body is to make sure that you have a reliable vessel that has the vitality in order to fulfill your dharmic path or mission here. The body as I see it, and I'm becoming more intimately related to my own body as I kind of mature and understanding and awareness, it really is kind of a tuning fork. It's a communication tool that tells us where we are in the world physically and gives us sort of an internal GPS on where we might go in order to serve the highest good. And so being someone who was either born with or developed a really sensitive body, uh, I'm very much in communication with my body and what it wants to do, when it wants to do it, where it wants to be, where it doesn't want to be. And so I look at it as kind of this interface between my consciousness, soul, who I really am, and the quantum field. There's no other way to really explain it. You know, to me, it's kind of a, it's a radio transmitter receiver, human electrical protoplasmic meat suit, and it's a vehicle. And just like when we get in the vehicle that we drive, I've got my rental car outside of the house here. 
and I get in that car and uh, I have to pay attention to all of the cues that that car is giving me in order to get where I want to go safely and to accomplish whatever the mission happens to be, you know, getting groceries, <laughs> you know, taking a trip to, you know, here in Austin, my, I'll probably be doing a lot of creek swimming. You know, I love freezing creeks. And so if I want to get from point A to point B, effectively, I have to pay attention and really fine tune that car and definitely monitor its communication with me. And I look at the body much in the same way. I mean, maybe not in such a reductionist, cold, calculated way. It's a bit more of a loving relationship that I have with my body. But um, I really think that it has an ability to communicate with us. And I was just talking to my fiance this morning, or she was talking to me rather. I recently had a spell of uh, dizziness or vertigo or something like that. We're out in Sedona for a while. And, you know, to me, I'm just like, God, how do I fix this? It's so annoying. What's wrong? I go to every healer in town and I just work on it, work on it, work on it. And finally it went away. And it's been weeks now. So I'm like, I don't need to think about that anymore. And I was about to meditate. And Allison said, you know, sweetie, she pulled a couple cards for me. She's a shaman. And so she has a practices that she follows daily and um, pulling cards is one of them. And so she pulled three cards for me and, and suggested that I tap into what my body was trying to tell me with that vertigo. And even after all these years, it still didn't occur to me. I'm just like, body, damn it. Stop doing this. This is annoying. I have things to do, but I really did. I taught, I tapped in this morning um, to the body and its messages. And one word immediately came to mind and that was trust. And I think so many of us during this uncertain time when we watch our reality uh, really sort of crumble around us, or at least our perception of what we thought reality was. It's really important for me right now to trust divinity and to trust the field of consciousness, to trust my body, to trust that I'm being guided and protected, and to really just tap in and listen to that. And being in tune with the body is a huge part of that. And so I think... Um, in relation to your summit, that's that's kind of where I where I land with it right now, you know. And and I'll close in saying that I think a lot of us that are into the alternative medicine, functional medicine, anti-aging, biohacking, myself definitely included, have a tendency to think that we're going to arrive at the destination of feeling fulfilled and having a life of meaning and ease and grace if we can just get physically healthy enough. And so for me, there's always this razor's edge of doing the spiritual work, the personal development work, uh, the psychological work, be it through meditation, uh, spiritual practices, plant medicines, whatever one's chosen path is. It's like a fine line between really focusing on that, but also making sure the body's tuned up and ready for that mission. And I'm always kind of oscillating between those two, trying to find a center point where I'm really in the awareness that the spiritual element of my life is the most important part of it. Although you have to have a certain amount of energy and vitality to pursue a spiritual life because it does take a lot of energy when you're really sensitive and really tapped in. And, you know, I did Kundalini yoga almost daily for, you know, going on eight years. I haven't done it in a while. You know, I go through phases. It was an eight year phase perhaps, uh, but I quickly learned in that practice that the body is a really a, a crucial role when it comes to elevating your consciousness, because as you tap into more cosmic energy, it's more demanding on the body. And I think this is why so many uh, saints and sages in, in our um, recorded history have uh, sometimes met an early demise, because it really does take a, a lot of power to be able to 
elevate that level of consciousness and to really embody it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I sit with it right as of today. I love this. And um, this resonates a lot with my understandings. And again, um, I'm with you. It's always evolving, right? As we learn um, within our own experience. And I sit kind of from my patients educating me every day um, about um, this experience. And you said a few things that I just want to land on. Um, the idea that our body is this tuning fork, right? It's this vessel. It's also a barometer, right? For us to continue to explore when we do have imbalances. What are the things beyond? Of course, they're physical things to support us and to correct, but what is the meaning behind that? And I think if we enter into this more deeply connected way of navigating our body, um, as you said, it's it becomes more of this trust and this communication process rather than this fear control model that obviously we're being bombarded with and we're, you know, hopefully a lot of us are finding ways to navigate through that. We have Dr. Sue Mortar on the summit just to share with people. And she actually holds Luke a little diagram of a biofield kind of in resonance and coherence and one that has kind of blocks and how we, you mentioned how like we're connected to the field, right? So one way that we can walk through life is to continue to cultivate and work our own coherent field so we can bring the people and the circumstances and the scenarios that are going to be a match that can help us on our soul's evolution. I mean, that's kind of my understanding as we sit today. And it sounds like you have a similar process. And so many people might be thinking, okay, these are new ideas. And okay, where do I start? So you had a path from age 26 to where you are in this really amazing space now. And so what are some kind of therapies and tools and strategies that have stood out to you personally that helped you to fine tune your um, your vessel? Well, I think for me, it's been all the exploration that I've done in terms of the physical practices and physical health have been rooted in fundamentally rooted in common sense. And what I mean by that is if I look at the pathology in the human condition and look just a few hundred years back, if you want to go a few thousand years back, maybe even better, but it seems like human beings were doing pretty well physically throughout the ages until the industrial revolution. Well, maybe prior to that, the agricultural revolution, then into the industrial revolution. And then now we're into this sort of technocracy (laughs) (laughs) de-evolution, perhaps. Um, But with every wave of technology and advancement, it's like humankind has collectively shot ourselves in the foot. You know, when we first got away from our natural life way in terms of eating wild foods, and went into hybridized domesticated foods and moved closer together in uh, townships, villages, eventually cities. That was one step in the wrong direction. And then, of course, with the advent of all of the chemicals and the military industrial complex and nuclear testing and all of that, then you have the electrification of the world, right? In America, we have 60 hertz running through everything. And then, of course, wireless communications, you know, World War II, radar, cellular communications, FM radio, television. We've then, you know, kind of polluted every level from the underground waterways and aquifers to the air. Now we're into the geoengineering over the past couple of decades. So there's God knows what being sprayed in our skies. So it seems to me that if I want to 
get to the root of what my trouble might be physically, I've got to look at what things were like before all of those things, those events transpired. And it's probably not possible to live a life of convenience and productivity in today's world and try to devolve yourself back into a paleolithic pre-agriculture human being, right? Unless you're really committed and you want to go live in the middle of nowhere in the woods and live off the land. I'm a bit too domesticated to probably do that. I don't think I'm that tough, to be honest. And I don't know that I would want to be. So for me, with the health practices, it's always been an acknowledgement and acceptance that, okay, this is where we are as a species. This is where I am. I've lived my entire life, for the most part, indoors, sitting down under artificial non-native blue light. And for the past maybe 25, 30 years in an absolute electric soup of EMF uh, in the environment. And so there are only so many of those things I can change. So what are the practices that I can adapt into my life to simulate a pre-domesticated existence? in some cases, using technologies to get fortified by some of the elements of nature that I don't have access to consistently enough. So in there, the first two things are realizing that unless you evolved somewhere near the equator, that you likely experienced pretty dramatic changes in temperature. We live now at 68, 70 degrees if we're lucky in the first world to have you know, indoor climate control and we just want to be comfortable. Most humans feel comfortable at that, but we've not evolved to be comfortable. We've evolved to be freezing in the winter to get in uh, freezing bodies of water to bathe ourselves and also been exposed to extreme heat during summer months or um, you know, spending time in hot springs and things like that. So the first thing to me is to tune the nervous system to radical temperature change. So this morning I woke up here in Austin, it's in the low 60s, I think at night. So it's not that cold right now. And I went in the unheated pool first thing when I woke up and it's probably in the 50s or so. It's pretty chilly, not as cold as I would prefer. I like it maybe 35 to 40 is kind of my sweet spot to take a morning plunge. But it was nice, you know, and then I made sure as soon as the clouds parted and the sun came out to get as much of my naked body out in the sun so I could at least start my day in the elements. Uh, if this was not a rental, if I was home, I'd have an infrared sauna, have red light therapy. I would uh, do everything I can to watch the sunrise and watch the sunset, which depending on where one is situated geographically is less or more possible, depending on where the horizon is, obviously, and your vantage point. This spot here has a a two-story garage that you can climb on and you can see the sunset and the sunrise on a flat plain horizon, which is amazing. I did not make it up this morning to do so. (laughs) I needed the rest after flying. But those are a couple things, you know, it's just like our relationship with light. We just, we aren't meant to live behind glass or to live with artificial light. And I think that to me almost trumps your diet is our relationship to light. You know, our circadian biology is so yoked to our environment. And speaking of the body as bio signal receiver, you know, our skin is covered with photoreceptors and we take in information constantly from our environment as to where we are physically in the cosmos. And I think a lot of people like the home I'm in right now, you can probably see in the video, uh, has beautiful natural light. It has like huge big windows on, on both sides. And people call that natural light. 
but now we know that half of the UV is blocked when you're behind glass. So there's no such thing as natural light indoors unless the window is open. So being aware of things like that and finding that balance of not being paranoid, like, oh my God, I'm going to get cancer if I'm in this non-native blue light. That's not the right approach either. It's just being aware if I want to be healthy, like the humans of old, I mean, granted we had sanitation issues, not that, you know, it's, it was a, a walk in the park for ancient humans in the Paleolithic era, but they didn't get cancer from being under blue light all day and, you know, having their, their world be lit at night. So it's a balance of going like, hmm, okay, how can I get close to that? But still know that if it's storming outside, I have a warm house to come into. That's really nice. And I appreciate it. But I always kind of remember this is not supposed to be how it is. Mm -hmm. um, so the relationship with temperature, with light is probably the first place I start. And just really interacting with the sun is a huge part of my practice. I was, you know, I guess I'm part Italian, so I've kind of olive skin. I'm very tolerant to sun. I get tons of sun. I'm sure there's some oxidative stress that happens as a result of that, but that's where the ice baths come in and supplementation like uh, molecular hydrogen and exclusion zone water from the nano V and other really powerful ways to mitigate some of the oxidative stress from being in the natural environment so much. So I like to kind of play with that realm and really just undomesticate myself and get outdoors barefoot grounded in the elements even just taking in the natural essential oils in my environment just walking in the forest forest bathing taking in all of the yeast mold viruses what we would call germs in the germ theory world like taking that in and really actually celebrating that you know getting my hands dirty in the dirt and not washing them before i eat and really trying to do my best to integrate myself into the natural environment and where I am now and realizing this for myself is I'm really just having a strong pull to live somewhere more remote, which is why I'm here in Texas right now. I never ever in my life was like, someday I'll move to Texas. You know, no offense against Texas. It just was not on my radar of places to live, but I'm out here in an area outside of Austin called Dripping Springs. And it, it looks like we're in like, um, in Italy or Northern California or Portugal. I mean, it's the most beautiful climate. It's almost this, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it has a Mediterranean kind of feel out here. It's really cool. But uh, again, just getting out in the rain, I went swimming in the rain this morning and, you know, then got pretty naked in the sun. And every time I, I come to a place like this, I realize, God, I, I really don't want to live in a city anymore. It's just too much. It's just not healthy. And I think for younger people, there are more opportunities in the city. And I probably wouldn't have the money to buy a house out here now if I hadn't spent 30 years in the city of LA, working my ass off, building relationships, building my, my skill set, and you know, creating the media that I create now was largely possible because of that time in the city. But I think the key to health is really getting back to nature. It's, it's as simple as that. And we wouldn't need any supplements or any of the shit that I do you know, I inject peptides and NAD. I mean, I just, my, if you follow me around for a day, I mean, it's a crazy science experiment, but I truly believe had I been born in the wild and never domesticated, I would probably be in, I mean, you might have to go back three or four generations of the stories or of what have you to get there. I'm sure I'm, you know, have been adulterated just through the domestication of my ancestors, but I'm not that many generations removed from people that lived off the land, at least pre-industrial, right? I think if I can get back to that in a sane way, that's not totally neurotic and controlling, which I have a tendency to be, then a lot of the other props wouldn't be that necessary. Mm -hmm. you know? 
Yeah. When no, you live in a when you live in the two, three, four, five G soup of metropolitan Los Angeles with the sensitive, you know, tuning fork that I am, it requires a lot of props just to be at base normal level of energy and general well being. Uh, and I think that's a lot less work if someone lives closer to the land and uh, more in alignment with nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, resilient the human body is given what we're living through, right? And there was a period of time <laughs> I where I, um, I'm always amazed at it, right? You know, and I there was a period of time where I would go down to LA pretty regularly to see people. Uh, patients. And I felt like my LA patients were some of the sickest, you know, because I tend to see the canary canaries in the coal mine, right? And then you put them in LA, like you were just saying, um, the extraordinary amount of effort and resources it took to recover their health. You just think like, I'm a naturopath, like, how is this supposed to be this hard? And so it makes sense as we, you know, understand this. And yeah, no, I, I love how you share this, you know, and there are these concepts of hormesis or this putting us through a short period of stress and order for our body to adapt and regulate and grow and i think as you said we've gotten really comfortable right we've gotten really comfortable and in that comfort we're not using our biology probably as it was wired to do and so i know with wim hof's work you know um cold a cold therapy and all this nature cure you know water um, therapy has become more popular and so if people don't have access to a pool they can do their bathtub or their shower and I'm a big fan of light. Um, you know, we are wired to receive light. You know, I'm really into biophoton medicine as well and how light is a, such a healing tool. Um, and, but our, our cells are literally wired to receive light as well as sound. You have a lot of people talking about sound as well. So no, lots of great tips. I, I'm just like super curious. I'm like, I wonder what peptides you're injecting. What are you doing? But I won't take a <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a fun area of medicine for us as far as kind of that bridge and getting more people more resilient and getting more tools. I think it's a really, while we still have access to it, I think it's a great tool out there. So Luke, you mentioned circadian biology, and I think circadian biology is huge. It's another way to connect us to nature, right? These rhythms and cycles that we have throughout our day, throughout our seasons. And, you know, we know that sleep is just really so foundational to our health. Um, It's a time where our brain detoxifies, where the body heals, repairs. We also get connected to um, those other aspects of ourselves and open us to this other level of consciousness through the dream world. I'm curious, what is your sleep routine? How do you optimize your sleep at this point? That's a really, that's a great question. And I think something that is just foundational to health. And now I, I just turned 50 in October, a couple months back. And so, I mean, I the older I get, the more I realize how important sleep is. You know, mm-hmm. my fiance is a few years younger than I, and I, I think she's just, honestly, she's a bit tougher. She just, I don't know. She can kind of eat whatever and do whatever. She feels great, has energy, doesn't have any physical problems. I think she just has good genes or something. She's much less sensitive about the sleep. Like she can get woken up a bunch of times and still wakes up feeling refreshed. Mm -hmm. I am a train wreck if I don't get really good quality sleep. I mean, I really, really suffer. 
my days will not be well spent if I have a sleep deficit. And the older I get, the more that is the case. So this is something I've spent a lot of time and energy working on. I'm always fine-tuning. And I would say in terms of my general health practices, the sleep would be the number one thing. And so um, starting out, I've become really habituated to not having any blue light in my life at night. So when I'm at home in Los Angeles, I've got the whole place rigged with incandescent bulbs. And they probably, you know, technically speaking for any geeks out there, they probably have a little bit of green light. It's not like as gangster as having all red light in your house at night, but there's definitely no like LEDs or fluorescent lights or even, you know, white in the blue spectrum of incandescent bulb. So it's just all amber lighting in the house at night to the point that I actually travel with a box of incandescent bulbs and I change the light bulbs wherever we go. Awesome. In the house I'm in. Yeah, in the house I'm in now, I flipped on all the lights last night and they they all of the fixtures here have those nice antique incandescent bulbs, but there's overhead lights that are all just heinous blue flickering uh, LED lights. So I'm, I'm mindful about which switches I hit. But that, I, I swear to me, like that's the most important thing. And of course, have my iPhone set where there's three clicks and you can turn the whole screen red. So when I need to look at that on the computer that I'm using to speak to you right now, there's a program called Iris. I think it's Iris. Iris.io. You can you can find it, uh, and it has much more hardcore settings than like Flux or even some of the native programs that like Apple products have now. So at night, if I'm going to be on the computer, or my phone, I turn the screen like red, red, where you can it's barely usable. It's so red, which is great because I don't want to be on the damn devices at night anyway. It's just sometimes I can't resist, or there's something I have to check on. Um, so the thing with sleep for me, the number one thing has been really, really being strict about the lighting until it just becomes a habit. And then you don't have to be strict. It's just, I know when it gets dark outside that it's also dark inside, meaning that there's no more blue light because there's no more blue light in the sky. If there's no UV outside, there's going to be no fake UV inside. And another um, great thing about that is you knock out two birds at one stone. If you go all incandescent, then there's no flicker. And if you're wondering if the lights in your home flicker, you can take your phone and shoot a slow motion video and you'll be horrified to find how much flicker there is from every little LED indicator light on every appliance, you know, the digital clock on your stove. Like when you turn the lights out in your place, all of those lights are flickering and it's not perceivable to the naked eyes. You think, ah, big deal. So the lights flicker again, going back to nature in nature, the only time light flickers is if you're running through the jungle or a forest and the sun beams are popping through the trees. And that would mean you're in high beta, either mm -hmm. chasing something or being chased by something. So it's extremely irritating to the nervous system to be under light that flickers. Now, some televisions and computer monitors and things like that have built-in flicker limiters and even some bulbs do. So not all fluorescent, well, actually all fluorescent bulbs probably do flicker. I'm going to take that back, but not all LEDs are created equal. Some of them are just horrific and just cheap and not well-designed and they flicker like crazy. They have a really narrow spectrum of blue light that's just heinous and completely wrecks your sleep and neurotransmitters and everything. Um, so getting the lighting thing taken care of. Then the next one um, for me was sleep that has changed the game is really paying attention to temperature. So I have a device called a Uller. Uh, they have a, it's a company called Chili Technology. They make something called a Chili Pad, which is like the cheaper version of it. And the Uller is kind of more badass, has a few more bells and whistles. But the Ullers are incredible because you have no EMF, 
because you keep the the electric unit itself you know a few feet from the bed i keep mine in the other room in the bathroom i use really long hoses and essentially it either heats or cools water and sends those through silicone veins in a pad that goes under your fitted sheet. And so you can customize the temperature on both sides of the bed. So if you sleep with a partner, this is incredible because it's rare, especially if it's a male-female dynamic partner, that both parties are going to agree on the same temperature. So uh, Allison has her set on kind of warm. It warms up when she gets in bed, then it gets a little cooler. Then in the morning, it turns warm again. It's super cozy. And I just have mine on like subarctic freezing all night, every night. And that has dramatically improved my sleep. I think a lot of us, especially men, because uh, we just tend to run a bit hotter, we don't realize that our sleep sucks because of temperature. You just feel restless. You're waking up a bunch of times during the night. You don't really know why. You just think, you know, it's something you ate or there was a noise. Really what I found when I started really working on the temperature was, oh my God, most of the time what's waking me up is I'm just overheating. And I, and I wake up and like pull the blankets down or whatever. And I don't realize that's what's woke me up. Cause then you fall back asleep and you don't stop to track like, huh, let me wake up and figure out what woke me up. You know, you don't want to wake up. You want to go back to bed. Uh, so really working on the temperature now here on this trip, it's, you know, it's winter right now and it's cold enough in Austin that I can just turn the thermostat down to 65 or something like that. And then the room stays nice and chilly and I, I sleep fine. But if you live anywhere that is hot or warm, um, that to me is a huge hack. So the lighting, the temperature, and then the next one I think would be um, the supplementation. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to preface this by saying there's a lot of noise in the CBD industry. I mean, every two days I get a package from some companies sending me their CBD products and God bless them. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful and fortunate that that's the case, but I think there's also a lot of very ineffective fake sort of, you know, just mm-hmm. mass market CBD products that probably don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I get CBD that's full spectrum and they actually just went biodynamic to a step even further from a company called Onda wellness onda and they do i think it's a really unique extraction i believe they just use oil and they basically just like i don't know i'm sure there's a word for it but it's like if you have olive oil and you put rosemary in it it's kind of like that like they're not doing hexane or even co2 they're using no solvents they basically just soak their CBD cannabis buds in oil for a long period of time and get this really beautiful full spectrum and it tastes quite medicinal Mm-hmm. It doesn't even like taste like pot. It tastes like the terpenes are really strong. Yeah, it just tastes really potent. And that stuff, I mean, I take a much larger dose than is recommended, <laughs> probably like two or three full droppers full, which is probably five days worth a night or something. But if I if I really need sleep, I'll do a mega, mega dose of that CBD and I am out. But then it's a matter of like balancing the, you know, your REM sleep with the deep sleep. I find that if I do a lot of CBD, I won't get as good of REM sleep. I'll get a lot of deep sleep. So I use the Aura Ring to track that. And then I'll play around with the supplementation. Maybe I use melatonin, like the Quicksilver Scientific professional grade melatonin. I mean, it knocks you on your ass. I don't want to do that all the time because I don't want to tell my body, hey, stop making melatonin. We're taking it exogenously now. On some nights when I really want a, a deep dive sleep, I'll do that melatonin. And then if I'm getting like too much deep sleep, then I'll do some lion's mane extract, like a pretty hearty dose of that. And that will automatically or very quickly bring my uh, REM sleep back up and find that nice balance. I'm always tracking the sleep with the aura ring and I always want to be in the, you know, 90 percentile. And I'm usually, I'd say at least in the 80 percentile. 
on a really good night in the 90%, mm-hmm. but I'm still work. I'm still working on it. But those I think are the main, the main things, you know, and I've, I've tried a million different supplements over the years too. There's um, a company called Sovereignty that makes a product called Dream. It's mm-hmm. great. It has a bunch of adaptogenic Ayurvedic and Chinese herbs. You know, there's all the the valerian and the kava and all these different things you can kind of play with. Sometimes I'll take a bit of kratom mm-hmm. uh, at night. That can kind of interfere with sleep, but it is really relaxing. If I don't feel like relaxing late at night, that will force me into kind of a, a mellower state. Um, so, you know, I play with the herbs and the supplementation a lot, but I think the big the big ones are the light and the temperature. Wow. And then also one for me that I'm having a harder time learning, uh, but every time I get my ass kicked and get bad sleep, I relearn it. And that is paying attention to brainwave states at mm-hmm. night. And by that, I mean getting out of beta by stopping work. If I'm doing any kind of work, even if I don't think it's stressful, like I'm just going through old emails, like no big deal, doing research online. If I'm on a computer and my mind is very active and I'm thinking or being productive or creative, that will uh, really hurt my sleep onset. And I find it much harder to fall asleep. And in some cases, if I stay up late, even just watching TV, watching a movie, anything that's kind of producing cortisol, I'll find that my sleep definitely suffers. So the self-discipline part about it for me is to really wind down and just slow down at night and disconnect from technology and disconnect from anything that's going to cause me to produce cortisol or speed up the uh, the brainwaves and just really like make nighttime a practice of winding down and mm-hmm. and getting to bed at a decent hour. And then the last thing I'll say, and I'm not great at this <laughs> because it depends where I am in the world, but watching the sunrise is the fastest way to get your body clock on track. And so that's something I really like to do when I travel. And again, I missed it this morning. I'm hoping to do it tomorrow morning. That's my plan. But if I can get up and watch the sunrise and sun gaze, meaning I'm doing breath work, watching the sunrise grounded on bare feet on earth. If I can do that for three or four mornings, I'll start getting tired at the, at the normal time. Like I'll want to go to bed at 10. But if I miss the sunrises and I use artificial light at night, even if it's not blue, I'm not going to want to go to bed until like midnight or one. And that kind of really messes up my whole sleep schedule and I start sleeping in later and I get caught in this kind of trap. But sun gazing in the morning is the key to indicate to your body where you are on the planet and to regulate the production of melatonin and cortisol and not to mention dopamine and all the other neurotransmitters that just help you feel productive and positive throughout the day. So the morning sun gaze to me is like a really, that's the, that's the nuclear bomb to your circadian rhythm. Like if you can get that down with some regularity, it fixes so much of the other problems that you have with sleep. Oh, love that. And um, again, you know, nature, right? Connecting us to, you know, the yeah. more that we connect to the natural rhythms, you know, we're more aligned. And then, you know, of course, that translates into health and all of that. And great tips. I found the red light thing really helpful. I'm at a point in my life, I still have to work at night. I am working on that 2021 goal. But I actually just got Dave Asprey's red light that you can kind of wind, you know, you can change the light bulb through the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which has been fun for me. And then um, I have the chili pad. I don't have the older. They were very nice to share that with me. So that was a game changer, right? Because a lot of the natural beds too, like trap heat more, I find. And so like you want to get like good quality bed that's not full of all these synthetic um, fibers and things. And then um, I found that they can be hotter. So it's kind of a hack for for that as well. Totally. And, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think um, 
the realm of cannabis and, you know, hemp, um, absolutely. I think that, you know, our whole endocannabinoid system helps us regulate our sleep. And I think that's still an underutilized tool. Melatonin is interesting, right? Because I think, you know, we use a lot of melatonin in our practice because it also has this quality where it helps to detoxify the brain. So, you know, nature again is so wise in that, you know, it helps us with our circadian biology, but it also helps to clear toxicants from the brain and also pathogens, which is it assists the lymphatic system. And, you know, I, I'm again, a naturopath, so I'm trying to make sense of like, okay, because we'll use some higher doses of melatonin to help people. And what I maybe have um, oversimplified, but I feel like we live in this melatonin deficient time, right? Like everything's coming at us to affect and deplete melatonin. And one thing that I know that you're really dialed into is this whole world of EMF, right? And so EMF can deplete our pineal glands production of melatonin as well. And so Luke, you just created a course, right? On how people can, you know, really optimize their home environment for EMF. So like any other tools or rituals around EMF, I know it's a deep dive to go into all of that, but just like pearls around that um, to help with um, sleep that you've felt helpful. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. For those listening, uh, I, I did in fact create a course. It's called the EMF home safety masterclass. It's only $149. It's like almost six hours of content. It's extremely exhaustive, but entertaining. So there's the plug for the course, but yeah, you know, my story, it is so funny. You brought that up, you know, again, going back to our ancestral life way, obviously there's EMF created by the sun, the magnetic field, the cosmos in general. It's not that EMF is uh, not supposed to be here, but uh, what I'm talking about is non-native EMF. So it's literally frequencies and uh, power ranges that are not native to this planet, just like non-native blue light or spectrum of light that is so narrow, it does not exist here on planet Earth in nature. So of course, when your body reacts to it and and um, interacts with those frequencies, it does not know how to process them. And so I've been very EMF aware and very EMF sensitive for a really long time, but where my real passion came from was, I guess it was about maybe four years ago or so, I lived in an apartment in Hollywood and I was already very EMF aware at this time and like, you know, turn off the Wi-Fi at night and all the protective stuff for my devices and was, you know, pretty hardcore about it. Uh, And I'm doing all the biohacks there, man. I mean, you know, I had started my podcast and I'm, you know, have personal relationships with so many brilliant doctors and scientists, physicists, and really had a lot of resources at my fingertips, yet I was getting sicker and sicker living in this apartment. Uh, Vertigo, uh, my eyes went bad, excruciating brain fog where I could barely drive or function. I'm doing, you know, ozone, 10 pass IV, hyperbaric chambers. I mean, I'm doing tons of detoxes, trying to figure out what the hell is wrong with me. And uh, and then one day, I... (laughs) I really, it was through divine guidance, I think. I wandered into this office building across from my apartment because I wanted to find a place to watch the sunset because I had a vantage point for the sunrise, but I didn't have the sunset. And I I felt so good when I watched the sunrise and sunset. So I kind of sneak into this office building. It's a three-story building right across from my two-story apartment. And I meander up the stairs. And when I get to the doors that lead out to the roof, I see all these huge radiation warning signs and Verizon signs. And I thought, you have got to be shitting me. Me of all people. I'm so paranoid of like being near cell towers, being near Wi-Fi routers, because I've 
studied the science. This is really, really dangerous stuff. And the um, regulatory agencies that are supposed to be protecting us are laughable to say the least. They are so corrupt, so money-driven. This is why you see cell towers on hospitals and elementary schools. People make a lot of money leasing out their property to the big telecommunications companies to put their infrastructure, right? And then cities also make a lot of revenue from allowing these technologies to be installed on city property, county, state property, et cetera. So this is a huge epidemic. So knowing that, I would never in a million years live anywhere near a cell tower. But I popped the door open to that roof and I'm like, you have to be kidding me. There were two giant cell towers with multi-masts on them, right? Pointed right at my bedroom. And so this is about a hundred, maybe 150 yards away from where my bed was for three years. And they were hidden by kind of a faux wall. I'm assuming the owner of the building put in some stipulation that required them to make them less ugly. It was, they're going to eyesore also, right? So there I was getting fried for those three years and I immediately moved out and moved up to an area called Laurel Canyon. I brought my EMF meters when I was looking for houses and I found one with very low RF in that neighborhood. Incidentally, I found out after having an inspection on that house that there was insane levels of magnetic fields in the house because of bad wiring and, and also dirty electricity. So it's like I traded the RF for a different type of um, you know EMF. But anyway, I was able to mitigate that. So, so my passion for EMF comes from being someone who's super, super healthy. I'm in my 40s. I'm one of the most committed biohackers in the world with access to amazing resources and still got so sick. I explained that whole scenario to a man that I interviewed named Dr. Ted Achacoso, a Filipino a brilliant uh, MD who is arguably one of the eighth smartest people on the planet based on IQ testing. He's a brilliant guy. And I told him about that. And he said, wow. He said, Luke, he said, honestly, I can't believe you don't have brain cancer. You know, I said, yeah, well, I, I, maybe I do because I feel like it half the time. Um, so after that, I just became such an advocate and I'm just, you know, honestly, I'm so pissed off that we live in a world where we're driven by greed and money to the point where so many humans' lives are being destroyed and so many people are getting brain cancer and all sorts of other uh, ailments as a result of acute and consistent exposure to these technologies. And so that's why, again, knowing that like, you know, there's no other planet to move to. There is one area in, I believe it's West Virginia, because yeah. they have uh, these telescopes there and stuff that it's like, it, there's no cell phones, no Wi-Fi, there's no wireless there. So until I move there, this is just the world. The Airbnb I'm in right now, last night I went up on the roof and I, and I look out, I'm like, oh, this is great. It feels so good to be a away from all the cell towers, about a quarter mile from this house, there's a massive cell tower pointed right at the house. You know, there's no getting away from it. So I've gotten really into mitigation in the esoteric realms of transmuting fields mm -hmm. that are entering into them. I use a service mm -hmm. called flfe.net, Focus Life Force Energy, which would take mm -hmm. me a while to explain, but essentially it's a quantum resonance technology that you can assign to geographic locations to not block EMF, but to transmute the wave form of EMF generated from devices inside the house or from outside the house into a more harmonious field. So on the esoteric realm, there's that. There are other yeah. devices, Soma Vedic, uh, the Blue Shield Scalar Wave technologies that I'm a firm believer in based on what I would say is pretty viable science. Um, 
testing on animals, not in a cruel way, but putting these devices on farms, um, the production of the egg quality and uh, consistency goes up. The fat changes in the cows where they put these devices on dairy farms. They don't get sick anymore. They don't need antibiotics. All kinds of crazy studies like that. Um, HRV testing, live blood cell analysis, you know, fairly empirical evidence as close as you can get without having a you know five million dollar research budget but i really do carefully vet technologies that claim to assist with emf because there are also a lot of fake ones that don't do anything so yeah. those work and then in terms of like more hard science i haven't done this because i don't own a house yet but i will 120 percent when i move in a place get it tested and then i will shield the entire house with shielding paint and shielding fabric on the curtains and i will literally live in a faraday cage because yeah just about everywhere you go is getting inundated with these frequencies. And it's just really hard to avoid. I mean, I'm in a very rural area here in Texas, and I just happen to live you know, a quarter mile from the cell tower. And I know I'm too close to a cell tower. If I get uh, five bars on my phone, I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> you know, I'm probably the only person in the world when my phone gets no bars, I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, in the home shielding paint, having it tested by a building biologist. And then, you know, here's the thing. We can just hardwire everything. I was born in 1970. When you had to make a phone call when I was a kid, you walked across the room and picked up the phone off the wall and there was a cable on it, you know? So, I don't think it's that hard to rehabituate ourselves if you have the the know-how and the coin. You run Ethernet cables all through your walls and you have little ports everywhere. And when you want to use your phone, you go plug your phone in. Like, wouldn't it be awesome to use our cell phones less? I wish my phone didn't work as much as it works inside the house because I would be less addicted to the dopamine depleting habits I have around that technology. So like to me, EMF proofing your home would... And, and getting rid of the blue light would make it so what you eat barely matters unless you're eating like GMOs, aspartame, seed oils, hydrogenated oils, you know, the 10 main offenders that will make you super sick, super fast. If you're eating a relatively clean organic diet, to me, all you need to do then is deal with the EMF and the blue light in your home space, especially in your bedroom, and you're, you're good to go. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think so many of us ignore EMF because honestly, it's a lot harder and more expensive to deal with than changing your diet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, cool. Don't, okay. Don't eat fast food anymore. All right. I mean, that to me is much easier than like paying someone five grand to come do an EMF assessment of your house and then dropping another 10 grand to fix all the stuff that they find. Mm -hmm. It's much more expensive, time consuming. And it does require, I think, a higher degree of discipline to really adhere to the safety protocols that I think are essential if you want to really live a vibrant and healthy healthy life. And on the other side of that in closing, because I think we're just about out of time here, the other side of EMF is as you start to become aware of the risks is managing the neurosis and the fear response mm -hmm. that come around that. And so that's the, what I'm always working on within myself is like knowing that I live in a safe universe and that ultimately there is a higher power that cares about me and that I am not this body, that I'm a soul or an energy inhabiting this body. Otherwise, I start to feel like my very existence is being threatened by those cell towers and the Wi-Fi router. And that fear response will probably give you cancer faster than the actual cell tower down the road, yeah. or at least the compounding of both of them would most certainly make you more sick because now you're 
you're living in a fight or flight stress response because of the awareness. Thanks, honey. <laughs> my, my girl's walking by giving me the, you know, <laughs> the Apollo cane pulling me off the stage because we have a, an appointment. Um, yeah. But yeah, to me, EMF is everything and anyone in the health space that's not giving serious credence and attention to the EMF issue, especially for people that are urbanites, they're leaving a huge piece of the puzzle, if not the most important part out. And you can eat paleo, vegan, whatever all day long. And if you're living in a high EMF environment, I truly don't believe you can be that healthy for that long. It's, it's mm -hmm. that serious depending on your level of exposure. So the understanding that it is that serious and at the same time, having a bit of levity about it and not take it at all too serious because we moved in here, right? And I'm in a house and I always bring an ethernet cable and then I hardwire my computer and I just turn the Wi-Fi off. And I definitely turn the Wi-Fi off at night, but in this Airbnb, they have the room locked where they have the router. <laughs> it's like in their private zone or whatever. I was like, yeah. oh, this is funny. So it's, it's a great opportunity for me to surrender my control and just to know that I'm safe, I'm okay. And I turned on my FLFE service here, got my blue shield plugged in. I did some just common sense, practical things to just harmonize the environment. And then after that, I just have to put that cell tower down the road out of my mind and surrender any fear, anxiety, negativity, anger, resentment, whatever might come up around the placement of that particular tower or the self-pity of like, why do I always get an Airbnb next to a cell tower? Because <laughs> I do have an uncanny ability to pick places that are right next to a cell tower. That's just, I think, you know, God's trying to teach me to just let go of the control issues I have around that. And so there's the, there's the opportunity psychologically to also, you know, trust God, but tie up your camel. And so I think that's, you know, that's the healthy approach to any practices like this is, you know, you do what you can, boots on the ground, you make adjustments to your lifestyle to be as healthy as you can. But there's just so many things that are beyond, far beyond our control and us letting go of the exertion of that control can be really healthy for our, our mental health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great, you know, words to leave on. I want to honor your time. And I, I think, I believe you partnered with Brian Hoyer with your course and I, I know him well. That's correct, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's, um, he's shielded some offices and he's been great for, you know, my patients as well. And I think you just gave us so many nuggets of information on how to be more resilient, um, you know, to the stressors. And I kind of come up with the same thing. Well, you know, we chose to incarnate now. We're on the planet at this time and we have to do our best to thrive in this environment and you know, trust in the process. But there's so many tools and so many technologies. I want to, we'll link to the course as well. And um, yeah, I think we can leave it there, Luke. I mean, I could talk to you for another right. hour, but I know that you're going to go find your healing home. Um, wherever <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be. I thought, do you have your, a meter in your bag to, you know, make sure it's the right I one? Do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I, I brought, I brought three EMF meters with me. Um, you know, even though I'll shield wherever I go, I, I don't want to make the same mistake and, and move into yeah. a place, especially with the RF. Yeah. Magnetic fields, electric fields, those are pretty easy to mitigate in, in your home. Yeah. But the RF is, that stuff's brutal, man. I mean, it goes through almost anything. So imagine, you if it can go through a concrete wall with ease, imagine what it's doing to your cells, you know? So I did bring my meter just to, in case I accidentally love a place that's, you know, right next to a freaking cell tower or something. Oh, well, I wish you all the best of luck finding your place. And I can't thank you enough thank for being you. part of it and all the work that you did to educate everyone. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Much appreciated. And I'm very happy to contribute and flattered to be asked to uh, participate. So thank you. 
Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Luke Story. Please check out his podcast and his website at lukestory.com. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, I'd be so honored if you would leave a review. It really means a lot to me. And I really enjoy doing these interviews. And I hope that you're learning as much as I do. So thank you. 